December 4, 2021, it's what for Pedro show. But at, at that moment, it was so vivid in my mind, the difference in the in the what I was getting on the horn. It was so vivid in my mind until I couldn't do it because as soon as I do it, I'd hear it and it just discouraged me. See? But after a year or so passed, well, I'd, I'd forgotten. <laughs> for Pedro Show. Happy Saturday. Started off John Coltrane talking to Frank Kosky November 66. More about his mouthpiece and how he fucked up, but he kind of forgot about it. <laughs> and uh, then uh, um, no, earn, um, earn. Hey, this is a fucking leash. Hold on a sec. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, that was my drummer man from Second Man, Jerry Trebitich. I'm doing the show, though, so you have to wait, Jerry. Okay, uh, no from Earn, which, uh, people, you could hear another voice, so you know what ain't man alone, because those Estonian software engineers with their Skype invention. I got with me Mr. B. Rouse, brother B. Rouse. Welcome aboard. What's up? And we got to give uh, big respect to Blake Edwards for making the connect. Thank you, Blake. Yeah. And another man, dear to our hearts and our minds, Brent Goodsay. What's up, Brent? Thank you, too. Yeah, absolutely. Look, curious about your journey through music. You're up in Oaktown, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Oakland. I lived here 20, wait, 16 of the past 23 years. Okay, yeah, but you don't get started there. In fact, I want to go as far back as you can fucking remember, Brother B. Yeah. Bring, please, bring your earliest music record. All right, um... I will. You know, um, my parents were Hare Krishnas. You know who the Hare Krishnas are? We got them in SoCal. In fact, yeah. Kay, you know, played bass in Black Flag. She said for yeah. a while, that's where only place, because they would give free chow out, and she would go free to their face. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Saved her life. Yeah, definitely. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, you know, they were, um, they gave out good vegetarian food, and the other thing that they did is they play music in their devotional services. Can I tell you? Can I tell you one music connect? It's really short. Me and D. Boots, yeah. the first gig we saw was T Rex, right? 
and his oh, and his daddy took us, you know, from Nebraska. <laughs> he sat with us and shit. In front of us was some Hare Krishnas with sparklers. Whoa! Yeah, just just cool. that just that little tangent there. But go on, please. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So my parents are Hare Krishnas. I grew up around these uh, musical devotional ceremonies. You know, they have these drums. People wear these drums around their neck. One is a kind of deeper sound. One is a higher sound. They also give out little symbols, and you play these little triplets on the symbols. And they sing and they dance. And so I was around these musical devotional ceremonies. And that's my earliest memory of music. Both but you became a stick man with a beat in the hand. So I think this exactly. is fucking I, fundamental. I, yeah, I can't help but trace it back to those fundamental experiences of that of that rhythm, that little triplet in the devotional service. Yeah, yeah, that the, the whole Asian thing with symbols, right? Gamelan, it can get yeah. melodic. Uh. Totally. I mean, the idea that drum hits eight notes, they're just really short. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other thing. Uh, so that's beautiful. So, uh, of course, they had, yeah, the drums and stuff where they had the, the services and stuff. But what about in the pad? Did you grow up with stuff? in the pad instruments not really not in, i mean by the time i turned 13 i was already playing in bands actually earn or urn um, was the band that i sang in when i was 13 years old and from being around that band i started hitting around on the drum set and my mom bless her oh you started as your first instrument was your voice yeah yeah i was a vocalist and you are and you are in can i go back a little before what about uh yeah. the school shit did were you in the choir or marching band or shit like that no no nothing like that okay go Okay. There was no other instruments and, around. And can I ask you the first record you bought with your own money? It's hard for me to pinpoint that. Ah, it's a Watt from Pedro show. There's no hard questions. There's no wrong answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had an older brother. I have an older brother. His name's Victor. He's three years older than me, so I, I benefited from him being into cool stuff. So he's the one who got me into skateboarding. Well, he why I ask him that question is because when you're a kid, you ain't got a lot of money. So that's yeah. why. Yeah, Just so say, brother Matt. Had, I remember we had. Are a you in the alley, and... brother Matt? Say what? Okay, I'm I'm doing I'm doing the show uh, show right now. <laughs> B, can you hang on just a second? Brother Matt brought oh, yeah. me some fucking bluefin tuna. Nice. No worries. Do what you gotta do. Go. I'm chilling. Just a moment. Just a moment. It's all good. No worries. You got a You got a okay. tuna delivery. I mean, with a t you know, Pedro dude is gonna bring you some fucking tuna. You don't, look, yeah. You don't look that in the mouth, huh? Okay. No way, no so, uh, so, so your, your your first music was like brought onto you by the older brother. Oh, yeah, can I ask I you the first gig you went to? I remember Victor and I had a cassette that was sacred to us. That was the Misfits Walk Among Us. Cassette. Oh yeah, of course. And that was our prized first cassette between the two of us. Can you remember the first gig you saw? Um, sometime in the late '80s, I started going to shows all at once. A lot. And something like with my skateboarder friends, something like Circle Jerks ah, in the late 80s, okay. 89 or so. Right, right. Keith Morris. Good, yeah. Uh, old friend of mine. Uh, okay, okay. So you start a singer. Now, now, did you volunteer or were you asked? Um, to be a singer, it started out just by um, messing around, really just messing around. with. You mean like after school, friends. the garage band, the basement band, the exactly. bedroom band? Okay. Really, it was like after skateboarding. We would go skate, we would come home, and then my friend Justin had a guitar. He started playing guitar. I just started mumble, rambling over it. Hey, B, and, uh, B, can you yeah. talk about that, the connect between music and skateboard? I've tried to, but yeah. I think it has something to do with being a and you can do it anywhere and I don't know yeah it's um for me it's such a close intimate connection between the two experiences and yeah they both they both had to do with um being somewhat of an outsider and uh a skateboard really you you need to get a skateboard you had to get round up some money to get one but once you had it you could go um 
just grind a curb and um, meet up with your friends. There was this uh, parking garage that we would all go skate at when it was raining, and people built little ramps in there. And in Florida, it rained a lot in the summertime, so people would bring their boom boxes. They would play the punk music. And um, on the skateboard or videos, that's where I learned a lot about punk, a lot, a lot about music, was um, those skate videos, those early videos from Santa Cruz. Oh, oh yeah. I think there's a fire hose song in, on fire one of those. Hose, exactly. I've had so many kids. Actually, cats in Europe told me they learned how to skate from the videos. That's really cool. Yeah, so there's something about that outsider, um, econo, budget living um, that really brought the two of um, punk and skateboarder, skateboarder culture together. And um, I, skating launched me into punk when I was... 12 or 13 years old and i've never left punk <laughs> yeah but there's something about it right? i mean it's about expressing yourself right and kind of artistic why yeah not, why not call it artistically expressing yourself absolutely but it, it also is econo so a lot of cats can get into it but it's also open-ended enough so you can like bring in your own styles and whatever you're right St still have right. a lot of common ground with your, your cats you know yeah. your peers and it's a way to spend time with people you know skating alone was never something i really did you always went out and skate with a few other friends and to this day going to band practice is just as much a way of keeping friendships and um spending time with people and creating something together as it is you know, doing so-called music, you know, it's about, it's a lot about the relationships and, and, um, having a space to, to create together. You know, I gotta tell you, you're right on the money, man. There's nothing like an ensemble being part of an ensemble. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're man alone, right? And especially maybe composing or a prac or something, but man, when yeah. you're together with your cats, oh my God. Oh yeah. My and God. as a drummer, um, you know, you like to find people to play with who elicit from you cool drum beats. Yeah. You can sit around and write a drum beat, but there's something about someone throws down a riff and you it draws out of you something that you didn't expect uh that's what one of the things i really enjoy about uh, playing with other people because they it's the combination of the, of the people together that makes it go unexpected places that you wouldn't go by yourself and i gotta tell you these bands without a bass that poor lonely kick drum <laughs> no one to yep. dance with yeah maybe there's more room in the boat but i don't know if it's a good enough trade-off for me okay yeah yeah so that first gig though I mean, your first gigs was as a singer, man. Can you remember your first yep. gig? I do. I remember it very clearly. Great. Uh, yeah, it was a little tiny club called the Star Club in Tampa, in Florida. A little place called Ybor City. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Cigars, right? Yeah, That's where they first rolled cigars, I think. Bingo. Exactly. <laughs> See, the, the advantages of touring, <laughs> all the knowledge. What's you that? Can, the, the knowledge you can gain by being a tour Tour oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, so I remember the the Star Club being super intimidated and scared because I was thirteen, but also feeling right at home because the friends we had from going to shows stood right up front with us. Everyone was kind of goofy and a little um, wild, heckling each other, jumping around, and um, so there was the even though we were young and didn't know what the hell we were doing, there was already a sense of uh, we were playing. To, for our friends, and um, I just remember that really clearly. So, bottom line, gig was success. Yeah. And the material, were you already composing, or were you guys doing covers? No, we were composing. We, we, did, some cover, we did some cover songs for fun, and to kind of, because um, we liked we liked bands and we wanted to play their songs, but sure. we did mostly originals with just one cover. See, that's what I love about the movement, man. Because when we yeah. when D Boom were young, nobody did that. <laughs> Right Everybody on. Everybody copied yeah. off records, you know, like building models. Look, you gave me this some music here. The end of the century party. 
I want to play All right. the convenience store regular. <laughs>
skipping Cause You're making all the sense I'm just in Stop moving back. I'll just 
Goodbye, Mary. 
I've got to go. Goodbye, Charlie. Goodbye. Judging from the footprints, it's half man, half bear, half gator. And it weighs three or four hundred pounds. Maybe even more. Maybe even more. I've got some rope that's good and strong. Got some rope that's good and strong. I got some rope that's good and strong. I got some rope that's good and strong. A rock and a great big stick. If it wants a fight, it's gotta fight. I'm gonna catch the monster from hell it came from the depths of Hades. I'm gonna catch the monster, the monster's on the loose. And if I had to guess how big it is, I'd guess about six foot ten. Maybe six eleven. That's big. That's real big. Goodbye, Mary. Goodbye, Kelly. I might not never return. Goodbye to all my friends. Goodbye, Charlie. Goodbye. Goodbye.
part of the thing. We all are. Such joy to know we belong. Such joy. be alone. Such joy to be loved.
chunk of music start off with the end of the century party convenience store regular then ava mendoza she's got brand she lived up uh up city or east bay for a while she's in new york city now incredible guitarist and ampulix compressor she's got a new album and, and trevor dunn wrote her that piece of music solo guitar slwcc watt with creep in a trench coat this is a collab i got with sam lock ward i was sitting helvetia Helvetia's got a new album, and why am I missing? Uh, same with Cedric Noel, his new record. This is called Still and Both uh, Joyful Noise. Good stuff, that label. Uh, uh, from the Bay uh, Area, James Twig Harper. Well, he's in Baltimore now, but the other huh. part, Rubber O Cement, right? This brutal sound effects group. The Sawanian Turbical Pyramid. And, uh, yeah. What was it? Uh, Jake Rodriguez called it the costume noise scene. Yeah, it was, that huh. was a trippy. Thud after that, hard to find. Confusion reigns, part two, monsoon, bombs printed. Le Grand Illusion, taxi vo- volant. Destroying the French language. Sorry. Didn't <laughs> Boundless relax. Here's Sam Lock Ward again with another uh, kind of a. Uh, he's got a project where he, I guess he got inspired by these dudes who like talk with the calm music to get you. Calm, and you are the light. And then, finally, Watermark 6000. I don't want to go to sleep till I get into a hot tub. <laughs> and lightness, B. Yeah, that was a band we did. Um, we did it, by the time we got to playing music, um, we had our group of friends. We all had our own bands. But we would always do these little project bands for fun, uh, one-offs. Um, actually, Watermark 6000 was around for a couple of years, but we set up that band to be all about sitting in hot tubs. We love to break into <laughs> apartment complexes and go sit in their hot tubs. And uh, Watermark 6000 was an apartment complex who had a particularly nice hot tub. And we, we would break in there and go sit in their hot tub. So we started a band. We wrote 12 songs. Every single song is some variation, some scenario about sitting in a hot tub. Wow. I had a, a buddy, Pedro, here a long time. He's a pool man. He said there's strict health rules about the chlorine and acid. Because I guess they're a little breed and a little petri dish, so watch out. What uh, uh, end of the party, uh, century party? End of the century party was the first band I played drums in. The first, my, it was really my first real band. Because URN, we did play gigs around in Tampa, but end of the century party, uh, we put out records. We went on um, a whole United States tour. We yeah. toured Europe for two months. Yeah. Uh, okay, and that let's, was, let's I, talk yeah. about drums. How, how, yeah, you said you know we heard about that foundation stuff with your folks. 
when do you get your first drum kit? Um, yeah, my my mom, bless her, bought me a drum set when I was um, 14 years old, where I was just about to turn 14. And we had a, we lived in a tiny house, a two bedroom house with five or six people in it and tons of cats and dogs. And she I said I wanted to play drums and she got me a drum set and I practiced drums in this tiny house, much to the chagrin of my neighbors. <laughs> but my, I remember my neighbor one time squirted his hose in my window because he was trying to get me to shut up. <laughs> but um, but there you go. I got had a drum set. I was able to practice and play at home. And did you get a teacher or did you like teach yourself off records like George Hurley? I just taught myself. Okay. George, you yeah. bought uh, my generation. No, what's one before my generation? Uh, uh, it's got uh, Happy Jack. It, it, it's that one. And then you also got, uh, who's that dude in Mao Vishnu? Uh, Billy Cobham. All Spectrum. Right. <laughs> so he right. teaches himself. Oh, he gets Billy some, Cobham. Well, yeah. yeah. It's Billy Cobham and Keith Moon, right, with headphones. And just beat the That's shit no out joke. of it. Beat it into him. Amazing man, George Hurley. Yeah. Oh, he had such a cool style. Such a cool drum style. But you can understand, right, coming from those two different yeah. places. Why? <laughs> for sure. But that for was sure. the idea of punk, right? You let the yep. freak flag fly. Okay. Right? Yeah, I, I would just Boone watch other this people quote. play. D. Boone had this quote, punk is whatever we made it to be. <laughs> I love that. Yep. This skater guy, Rob Locker, made a sticker out of that, and I've, I've always used it. So, uh, yeah. okay, you get to prac at home. You're teaching yourself. Yeah. And then yeah. end of the century party becomes your first. Now, is yeah. it your band or did you join this band? We all we all started it together. Okay. And we stayed the same lineup for the, I guess, six years we were together for a four piece. Well, you should name the uh, guilty people. <laughs> oh, was... yeah. Um yeah, it was um, really good, really, really great people important in my life. Eric Owens, who was the singer, he was really kind of, uh, maybe he's the one who masterminded the project and pulled us all together. And then um, Edwin Velez, who was a guitar player, he ran a record store in Ybor City called Blue Chair Records. And that's where we had all the gigs in the early, mid-90s, up through about 96. In Tampa was at Blue Chair um, and Edwin was at the center of all kinds of underground music scenes, not only punk, but also hip hop and um, had selling rad jazz records out of the record store. Learned a lot about music from him. Um, and then we had Gavin St. Dennis, who was playing bass. And um, yeah, well, we had a chemistry and we, we wanted to play fast, abrasive, um, brutal hardcore. And well, that's what we did. And you as a drummer, man, who are you looking up to as a, like a, a sensei? with the sticks you know tampa tampa had um a very well established death metal scene in the uh by the late 80s and early 90s and so i was immersed in seeing extreme like fast death metal but then there was a particular underground so, diy you know, there, i understand grind uh, dave, dave lombardo dave lombardo is one of my two utmost drum heroes he's the drummer he's Dude, the drummer i watched player. him once i got they went on right before the stooges at some festival and i watched the whole thing yeah. the guy is so relaxed playing that crazy how can he do that and he's also somebody <laughs> who's so fast and has just this expansive style he'll do these drum rolls that go into other drum rolls and change their rhythm <laughs> and just break up the fast ass beat that he's doing. And it really, it's he's the Elvin Jones of that fucking hard rock stuff. I mean, it's incredible. It is incredible. 
Yeah, and so there was a there was a band from Tampa, and a grindcore band called Asuk, and they were local heroes of ours and friends of ours, and they played super fast metallic grindcore. And their drummer, Rob Proctor, was also kind of my drum hero at a young age. I would watch him play, and I would be like, I'm going to play that fast. I don't know if I can play as fast as he plays, but I'm close. Was there a similar scene in Miami? Is that where Biohazard comes from? I thought Biohazard uh, was from um, New York. Oh, okay. Um, up. Yeah, there, there, was somebody, Miami... some, there was kind of a, a, a shred scene in Miami, right? Oh, Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. There was bands down there that we would interact with a lot for in particular, a band called Cavity. Um, oh, yeah. They, yeah. OK. Maybe that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. And people, listeners, you got to understand there's something called Alligator Alley that separates these two. Oofbergs. <laughs> and it used to have no <laughs> gas station. It was like 100 miles and nothing except yeah. gators and stuff. Right? Gators crossing the road. Yeah. 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 Florida. On the map, you don't think it, but it's as big as Cali because it's got that bend, and it's it's pretty huge. It's pretty huge. Oh, it's massive. On it's a tour, to, you could do five gigs, no problem. No, no, no problem. Uh, yeah. So, so, so you you did have local guys. That's different than some guy off a record, right? Because you get to watch the man work. Yep. Go watch him and study him, and you know, watch his moves. And like and... you said, get to be friends with him. Yeah. Yeah, it was very important. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, people ask me about the old days, and I always say it was about people. I think the new days are about people, too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They got to be. <laughs> right they, the, internet try, the internet tries to make it about the internet, but yeah. it's still the people. <laughs> it's always going to be CB radio to me. Okay. Yep, <laughs> Look, yep, we're yep, at the yep. end of the first, as far as the F, so quote, ethic, unquote, ethics. Or lack yeah. of December 4, 2021 edition Watt Peter Show special guest B Rouse. Hold tight for our two. December 4, 
Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with Judd Judd doing Fast Song. Then our Margolis with Quebec. Evil House Party, brand new. How Stars Are Aligned. Frank Rosalie. Ah, from uh, Brent Goodside's uh, JMY collab. We're going to build a better tomorrow. All right. Yeah, bitchin'. And uh, it's called Fool. And then finally, Scholastic Death. Book, <laughs> uh, no, Book Attack by Scholastic Death. Yes. Enlighten us. I don't know much about uh, Scholastic Death, so you have to enlighten us, B. Yeah, well, I guess I'd like to say about both of each of those bands, um, Judd Judd was, um, uh, I think it's the world's only acapella straight-edge hardcore band. That's a, <laughs> that's a hoax. <laughs> that's... <laughs> We made it up. We made it up, and it's real. We practiced. We had songs. We put out two seven inches of acapella straight edge hardcore, and um, uh, so anyway, I guess uh, we uh, ended up um, just ran with that joke for a long time. And uh, there you go. <laughs> that interpretation. And uh, we 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 were so straight edge that we refused to use instruments because people who made the instruments, yeah. they may not have been straight edge as us. That's so right. we refused to use instruments. That's how straight we were. Yeah, they were they were polluted and fouled. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Scholastic. So that death. was kind of a big joke, and then Scholastic Death was the band I well, started. You know what? I, people can't forget that the movement was a lot about humor. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, oh, don't yeah, ever forget that. This is one reason why I think it came on. The hippie thing kind of lost their humor. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, there was, um, there's a tradition of uh, straight-edge parody bands. Um, there's a band called Crucial Youth from California. They're making songs about brushing their teeth yeah, and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then we had, um, we had a band called Straight Youth from Miami who also had kind of parody um, straight-edge songs. And so Judd Judd is kind of part of that part of that tradition of um laughter at uh straight edge morality <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, well, some um, parts got a little weird right there was something in salt lake city with guys getting violent over it dude yeah yeah it got ridiculous it's just um a, a real perversion like, like, like humans do this to shit right pat boone's yeah. more tutti frutti's a little richard i can't figure it out Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, to uh, fucking uh, scholastic death. When I moved to California um, in 1998, um, I had I met a couple of the couple of guys on tour. I was going on tour in '96 and '97 around the U.S. with End of the Century Party, and then I was also a roadie for ASUC in '97. So I met a lot of people from the DIY punk scene around the country, and I met some of them and said, "Hey, I'm moving to California in '98. Let's start a band. Let's play fast." And um, I no arrived reggae, here to Berkeley, no reggae. <laughs> to '98, and we started our fast band, and so that was in um, that was my first band out here in California, and uh, that ended up going going places because the person who joined the band to sing was named uh, Max Ward. He was a drummer of some really cool bands out here, like a band called Spaz, who were yeah. part of the movement and music we call power violence. Yeah, yes, yeah. Power that violence. always tripped me out. That name. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. Maximum so rock and roll, right? Tim Yohannan. He had all those categories. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of uh, that's the scene I I dropped into out here. And, I, I knew um, some Dutch uh, power. I still do bass player and power. And I couldn't figure out how it was different than hardcore. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's only in that um, they they emphasize kind of doing these slower 
sludgier, dirgier parts and interspersing the dirges, the yeah, slow ones. I thought dirge. Ones. I think Tim Yohannan had a, a genre called dirge. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> he was a beautiful man. We lost him too early. Cancer got him. Yeah, but the, yeah, the, the whole idea was anybody start a band, you call it whatever you want because it's your parallel universe. Exactly. Yeah. And we had already, by that time, I don't know, we were already in our, I guess, early 20s. And um, we were self-conscious about playing already in well, like a sta- certain established traditions of hardcore. Hardcore had been around since the early 80s, and we knew that we were doing something that had been done before. And so we were, in a way, self-consciously carrying on certain traditions. And something that we did in the early late 90s, early 2000s out here is um, we thought of ourselves as doing – we called it thrashcore. And that meant we were doing stuff in the style of um, DRI, early, early mid-DRI. Or oh, I got to play one of their first gigs. A lot of little songs at first. Oh, yeah, yeah. The play, this is up yeah. in Eugene, Oregon. And, uh, but they, they had an evolution. I think they got into like uh, – Heavy metal or something, right? Hard rock? Yeah, yeah, they did. Corrosion did they it, did, too. Yeah. Corrosion and Conformity did the exactly. Same yeah, they turned a little metal. Carolina got yeah, to, But you know 80s. what? Music is music. Why, why not? <laughs> Put whatever space. Yeah, yeah, you got to... I, I learned a quote. I learned a phrase from you um, from listening to your podcast. You got to break down the Berlin Wall in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd had to, yeah. But what never uses that P word. It's my internet yep. show. Ah, work, work, your show. <laughs> you got to be show. The they don't even mind, make man. that machine anymore. I still have mine, though, and it's got fucking 430 John Coltrane songs in it, so I'm not knocking that. Look, you gave me this, uh, another yet another side project, Brain Fever. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let, let, let's listen. Every man and woman is a star. <laughs>
reggae. Faster. Pedro Show. Start off that chunk of music with Brain Fever. Shun the, I, I, shun the sun. sun. Uh, yeah, okay. Because you got a little hyphen there, so. Yeah, you yeah. do that, it's a cuss word, right? <laughs> Mother of Sorrows. And then Springtime with Will of Power. My Daddy Ate My Eyes out of Eugene, Oregon with C is for Cathers. Ray Shin. Pettibone Flyer. Love Raymond Pettibone. And then finally, oh. I'm going to guess Seepage with Seepage, yeah, that's Bell, the one with Brent and um, Blake. But I, but I love this spelling because you do go seepage like a snake, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so likeness to these two projects. Yes, uh, thanks. Um, you know, uh, in the so early two thousands, I was planning a scholastic death, and um, I just want to. I need to close that anecdote real quick, just because um, um, I left it hanging. I just want to say that briefly that. Um, Max had his own record label called um, 625 Records. And so he had put out a ton. Um, he was putting out tons of international hardcore power violence thrash bands. So he was a, he was a guy very well connected and very much a big um, integral part of putting together DIY Bay Area and international music scene. So super lucky to drop in a band with a guy like that because then bands would come over from, say, Tokyo. We did two different tours up and down the West Coast with different Jap bands from Tokyo, Japanese bands, um, and other bands that came over to California from the East Coast. So that was super special. And you, you saw that you were part of a bigger thing. It wasn't just that we were going backwards in time and recreating or participating in the tradition from the 80s. We were also extending around the globe and participating in a worldwide community of people uh, making music together. So that was super uh, influential and important for me, that, that kind of mentality. Yeah, great, great. Understood, understood. Like the alphabet, yeah. it doesn't matter when it was invented. If you're using it to write interesting novels, bring! Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Totally. So seepage? Yeah, seepage was, I lived in Chicago. I went to graduate school uh, in Chicago, and that's where I met um, Blake Edwards and Brent Gutzeitz. And... They were more in the noise experimental scene, and I'm I'm more from the punk hardcore scene. And so we decided we would do a band that was just a, a an amalgamation of noise, experimental weirdo um, parts, and uh, rudimentary, uh, straightforward uh, punk parts, and also some blasting, um, crazy fast hardcore blast parts. But, but and that's what I got to tell you, B. You know, 
70s punk, like the, the first band that could sell out the whiskey didn't even have a guitar. I mean, hardcore, this fast guitar drum, that really wasn't the beginning of punk. The, the yeah, movement. totally. It was like anything, right? Zev, that guy, like, by the way, Blake Edwards took care of him in the last years of his life. This guy would hang yeah, up yeah. pieces of metal. It would almost kill him. He's a one-man band. <laughs> That's amazing. It yeah. was like anything you could get on the stage, just as long as it wasn't fucking arena rock. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's what I learned a lot from being around Blake and Brent and, and going to the shows and the performances that was going on in their scene. And you would see that people bringing in these kind of surprising sources of sound and creating these soundscapes from um, all kinds of uh, different artifacts or uh, pieces of whatever and and getting squeezing sounds out of them and turning them into an, into an experience of of sound and noise and that's that was uh, something new to me in that chicago scene that I, that I that seepage was a part of okay that, so the learning was in the doing exactly that's which is probably the best way it ain't all in the head and theoretical but uh you know trying to express yourselves and find your own voice but also the collabs those two guys come into your life they ain't like the guys yeah. in Florida, like or, like or Max in your life in the Bay Area. It's important, right? Those connects. Yeah, yeah. They showed me different different horizons of, of sound and uh, uh, different ways to to create music together. That yeah. like, yeah, you can't just make that stuff up by yourself. You you got to be connected with other right. people. Right. And one question: What was your major for graduate school? I got a PhD in philosophy. Yes. People are at the end of December 4, 2021, second hour. What Pete Rush, your special guest, B. Rouse. Hold time for hour three. December 4, 2021. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pete Rush.
Watford Pedro Show start off the third hour. Replica doing Sandy Bottoms. A little pun rock there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mamalik from their new album. Wake up, Jacob. And then, okay, this band's known for uh, their titles, right? Silver Mount Zion Memorial Orchestra and Tralala Band with Sisters Brothers, Small Boats of Fire are Falling from the Sky. Yeah. Whoa, Boats of Fire. Ian McComb with 1,000. Omo Zira from Scotch Rolex featuring MC Yala. Uh, this is Brother Shige in Berlin, originally from Japan, but he went to Uganda and he did some collabs with cats there. Uh, wow. No static after that. This is from you, Brother B. Clarified, distilled, recomposed. I'm thinking of like ghee. <laughs> <laughs> totally. In lightness. To these Say what? Oh, yeah. Um... Yeah, you know, uh, those uh, Replica and No Static were the main bands that I uh, started when I came back to the Bay Area. You know, I I moved to Chicago for graduate school and I spent three years in France and Germany studying for my Ph.D., learning languages. And then I came back to the Bay Area and um, started playing music again. One of the reasons I wanted to come back here was that I knew the music scene was still very strong. I still had a lot of friends out here and I could I could show up here and um start playing music right away. And also I, I had a connection to the University of California, Berkeley, where my um, original philosophy mentor was was still here. His name was H Hubert Dreyfus. So I came to study with Bert, we call him. He's a Heidegger scholar. Ah. And I wrote about Heidegger, PhD, yeah. You know, he says and he was I, a fucking Nazi, but he did say something. One thing that always uh, stuck in my head, we should spend more times in graveyards. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Right, life is not a rehearsal. That was a joke song the Minutemen wrote. I was trying to be ironic. Yes, it's nice. not a rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, reckoning with the the intrinsic finitude of life is is super. It's important for for seeing the fragility and the intensity and the specialness that life can have. We can't have any of that without death. And so there's that's part of the you know part of the upshot of of that what he called being towards death. And um, yeah, so I've been I've been thinking about Kevin that. Phillip, and you mentioned back language. Here and music. You, you mentioned language. Can I ask you one little question, philosophical? Yeah. The Germans have two ways to say to be, right? The sinned and the. And, mm -hmm. and this has some bearing on their philosophical thing, going back to Mister Hegel and that stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you, yeah, you, you agree with that? Okay, so so Mr. Yeah, yeah. Mister Wittgenstein was on something with that. With the words come first. Yeah, absolutely. That the limits of the limits of my language or the limits of my world is something like Wittgenstein said. Yeah, yeah. And um, and really what what Hegel and Heidegger and Wittgenstein have in common is to see life in terms of a, a process rather than in terms of a thing. Yeah, it, it's a happening. It's yeah. an event. Dynamic. It's not, Dynamic. not a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a noun. And, it's a fucking verb. And so uh, when we were, it's a it's a fucking verb exactly. <laughs> and when so when we were we were recording the first No Static record, and we were looking for um, song titles and a theme for the record, and we ended up calling our first record "We All Die in the End," and that's actually a riff on a Heidegger idea. Um, we I gave a presentation at a philosophy conference, and my bandmates were there, and my my bandmate Robert Collins took out this sheet that i handed out at my talk and he said maybe there's some ideas here for a song and uh we started riffing on some of the stuff heidegger was saying about death and we came up with uh, we all die in the end 
And uh, that's the name of um, our first record. And so there's there's these kind of existentialist themes that run through. Raymond Pettibone uh, uh, for a label of our Cracks in the Sidewalk Cop when me and D. Boone first started label for Classless Society. And he's got the graveyard there, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you gave me this uh, conquest for death. Okay. What a Sugui. Did you plan this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, 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 let's go
from Pedro's show. Last music for this edition. Bloodsport of the Gods from Conquest for Death. And the Clang Quartet, Scotty Moore in North Carolina. They're live at the International Noise Conference, February 6, 2020, part one of two. Next edition, we'll hear the second part. Overhaul after that. Can't go back. Scott, finally, Saber. Semis. Yes. It's not Sabre. <laughs> okay. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. In likeness to these uh, projects. That um, Conquest for Death is a band that I joined. They had already been together. They were um, part of the same scene that Scholastic Death was a part of. They had a band before called What Happens Next that were part of the same, what I called thrash core slash power violence movement from the West Coast around the early 2000s. They started Conquest for Death after that, and the mission of Conquest for Death was to go tour all around the world, write music quickly, and go play it in um, surprising um, places that most Western bands don't go and tour a lot of times. So before I was in the band, they they did some shows out in Africa, for example. Um, I finally joined the band back in 2012, and um, the one big trip I went on with them, we went to Mongolia. And, yeah, we and went to I Mongolia, to China, Africa South Korea, and Japan. You know, I've done no. People say, "What? You've played all over the world?" I say, "I haven't played one African gig." Yeah, <laughs> totally. They're out there. I know. I, I, I know. Done that either, India, but they did, they, India I did get to Mongolia. Uh, subcontinent of India, right? Yeah, that would be awesome. Watts never played there. Yeah. How many millions of islands in Indonesia? Anyway, go on. Yeah, exactly. So, um. So that's the story with Conquest for Death. We we that uh, there the the project is to 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 tour the tour in surprising places and um, break down break down barriers and borders for with music. But um, Saber was another it's another project band like Brain Fever was that's or like Watermark Six Thousand was in my in my life. There's been these side projects that you do for certain um, focused limited amount of time, and that gives them a, a certain. Uh, the lack of seriousness lends it a certain um, potency and a sense of abandon that we're just going to create. Saber's been this project where we just write songs quickly and um, blast through them and play them. And uh, it's been my more, most recent uh, project out here that I've been uh, really enjoying uh, playing with. And Brain Fever was a project band that I did with um, old friends of mine from Florida and South Carolina. We met together in atlanta and then wrote a bunch of songs drove to south carolina and recorded them and then made the record and um chris bickle who's in that band is now a movie director he made two really cool movies i'd like to plug one of them's called the theta girl and one of them is called bad girls and brain fever has a song in the theta girl soundtrack so okay. people should check out chris's movies also we didn't get to replica Ah, oh, Replica. Yeah, Replica was in the um, another early mid two two thousand tens band for me, and um, my my PhD advisor Bert used to call Replica um, in a way that only an eighty five year old person could probably say my all girl hardcore band. Um, <laughs> but it it was um, me and my still partner Alicia and uh, Dharma and Juliana from Brazil and. Um, Oh, it was such a fun, fun band to be a part of. And this was a band that um, this the chemistry was so poof there and natural. And we or not natural, but just like magical. We played we wrote, got together, wrote five songs really quickly, played a show and um, 
it was just um, then we were just playing shows all over the place, all up and down the West Coast. Took a band from Japan on tour, did three seven inches, and um, just a um, wonderful project to be a part of. So right now, if somebody asks you what band are you playing in, you would say Saber. No, not Saber. Uh, Conquest for Death. Yeah, Saber. I would say Saber, and um, then I have a brand new band with just me and my friend Scooch or Chris. And it's fast, super fast, and we're looking for our bass player and our singer still. I got kind of fre- I got a fre- fresh slate of bands coming up right now. But Saber's one of them. We're kind of winding Saber down though. Oh, okay. We're gonna record the last batch of songs and then maybe do our next project with the same guys. Is there a place on the internet people can find you? That's a good question. Um, I have a page on Discogs. B Roos um, on Discogs has links to my bands, and a lot of them are on YouTube and on Bandcamp. Okay, and um, people, I guess, spell it for you. I don't have my own website with um, a links to all my own stuff. Maybe it's maybe something I got to think about doing. Yes, please, yes. right? Those yeah. corporate things are one thing, but to have your own, it's like having your own fancy. People, you spell it R O U S S E, okay? Go to Discogs yes. and check that out. I did. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. And, and also, YouTube.com, yeah, performances. Incredible. Uh, so. so we're almost out of time here. Advice. Advice. Um, advice is to uh, look at life as an opportunity to co-create with your friends and your strangers. And um, don't think about it too much unless you need to. <laughs> the examined life. The examined life is worth living. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> When you get these new projects developed and got music, will you come back on the show? We can play it and talk about it? I would love to do that. Ah, beautiful. Brother B, thank you so much for being on the show. People, December 4, 2021, Dishwap Pedo Show. Keep your powder dry.